What's up, everybody? Pastor Matt here. Thank you so much for checking into the podcast of Gospel Fellowship PCA. Hey, listen, what if I told you that there is a solid, biblical, doctrinally faithful, reformed church on a beautiful campus just a stone's throw north of Pittsburgh? Yeah, we don't have a Starbucks in the lobby. Sorry about that. We don't have a fog machine. We don't have an American Idol stage with laser lights shooting all around. But we do have the sweetest, kindest people in the world. We sing the Psalms and classic hymns of the faith. We preach the Bible chapter by chapter. We believe the whole thing's true. We love Jesus. We're on a mission to share the good news of the gospel with the world. Would you be interested in a church like that? Well, come check us out, Gospel Fellowship PCA in Valencia, Pennsylvania. Please feel free to visit our website at gospelfellowshippca.org and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Gospel Fellowship Presbyterian Church. All right, thank you so much. Here's today's message. Amen. Uh, if you turn in your copy of Scripture to Isaiah chapter 61, we'll be reading uh, the very uh, final verses of Isaiah 61 into the opening verses of Isaiah 62, um, beginning in Isaiah 61, verse 10. If you're using the Pew Bibles, you can find that on page 621. Uh, when you found that, would you please stand for the reading and hearing of God's holy word? Isaiah 61, verse 10 through Isaiah 62, verse 5. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the peoples. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. And you shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate but you shall be called, my delight is in her, and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Uh, we have uh, terms of endearment, don't we, uh, for those whom we love and cherish uh, and delight in. Um, I, have, I have them or things uh, akin to them uh, for, uh, for those in my own family, my girls, my wife, uh, 
Uh, most often uh, for my girls, I, I'll refer to them uh, by their name, uh, but beginning with my, my Lydia, my Abigail, my Naomi. I don't really think about it, but it just sort of uh, comes out uh, because there's an expression of delight and joy in seeing them. Uh, we have them, uh, and it's a way of expressing uh, what is a kind of uh, a gladness that someone has uh, to us, uh, not merely in something that they do, not merely something that they add to us, not something that we get out of them, but simply a sheer delight and gladness uh, to see them, to know them, uh, and to be in their presence. Uh, we have ways of expressing this kind of delight, and if someone has such a term of endearment even, an expression of delight to you, it's something marvelous even to hear it said, isn't it? Um, uh, to know the closeness uh, and gladness that someone has uh, for you to be with them and in their presence. Um, there's something similar uh, to that that we see uh, in these verses. Uh, remarkably, uh, what is the delight that the Lord has in you, his people? Uh, there's a new name uh, that we receive. It talks about a newness in the sense of, of making public uh, the kind of delight that the Lord has in his own. You saw it in verse 4. You shall no more be termed forsaken, etc. You shall be called. My delight is in her. Why? For the Lord delights in you. Um, this is a passage about the new name that the Lord gives as he expresses the delight he has in his people. The delight, the, the pleasure that he takes in his own and those who belong to him. Uh, the pleasure that he has, and the whole point of these verses is, as I understand it, uh, to build in us a longing uh, to hear and to receive that name. A longing for the Lord uh, to express what is the, the delight that he has in his people. Now, it's maybe a little bit strange to speak of it this way. Um, in terms of us longing for such a name. Uh, we've earlier on in our service already confessed our sins. We know our sinfulness. <laughs> we know our unholiness. Um, and there's a sense in which uh, we, we need to ask this question of whether or not we have any permission or any right to even long for such a thing <laughs> uh, as the Lord's delight and pleasure in us. Uh, where we're going to begin in these verses, and it's because it's where uh, the passage we just read begins, is we want to consider what permission do we have uh, to even long for such a name as this? What kind of right do we have? What's the foundation of what is our longing and waiting for such a name? Um, and where it begins is this, that Christ desires this new name for you. This is something that Christ himself Longs for. Let me show you that in the text. Uh, let's look first at verse 5 of chapter 62. Just at the very end, notice this how we the verses that we, the words we closed with, as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Talking about what is the joy that the Lord Himself has over and towards His people. He rejoices in his own. But that joy finds expression earlier in the verses that we read. Look at chapter 61, verse 10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God. The speaker of these words has a kind of joy in the Lord and an exaltation in him. There's a gladness 
um, that, that is kind of the whole mood of these verses. And where does the joy come from the one who speaks these words? Well, it goes on in verse 10. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has clothed me with the robe of righteousness. He's adorned with something. What is salvation and righteousness? And remember that salvation and righteousness, this is the very thing that the Lord himself works in the midst of his people. Chapter 62, second half of verse 1 uh, speaks of her righteousness that is Zion and Jerusalem's. Her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The idea is this, the speaker of these words is adorned already with the kinds of things that will be seen in the midst of, the, of God's people. And there's cause now for joy, much in the same way that there's kind of an anticipation of what is about to happen. It, uh, in verse 10 of chapter 61, He's covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest, later as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. It's the, the kind of sense that we have is this. It's, you know, the joy that uh, someone who is anticipating getting married, uh, a, a bride-to-be, uh, gets in, in trying on a, a wedding dress. <laughs> you put it on, and you know it's not yet the day of marriage, uh, but you put it on and there's a kind of joy and gladness because you have a sense of what is still yet to come and what is to be, uh, or even perhaps a, a groom to be, a husband to be, uh, putting on, trying on the tux, right? Um, you're not just glad at how you look <laughs> when you look in the mirror, I hope not. Uh, but there's a joy in anticipating what's yet to come. There's something like that here, where here is one who is adorned and put on, put on already, puts on what is going to, uh, uh, in, in anticipation of what is this later time of the whole people of God being adorned with something. And there's a joy that comes in considering this. Uh, who is this one who's so adorned and, adorned and takes such joy and gladness in the Lord? Well, if you remember last week, we talked about how this is Christ himself, the one who is the spirit of the Lord has come upon him and he is anointed. Chapter 61, verse 1, listen to this. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. Acts 10, 38 says that Jesus Christ, that God anointed Jesus Christ with the Holy Spirit and with power. Uh, what we have in these verses is actually a window into the joy that Christ himself takes as the one who is anointed with the Holy Spirit. As he has received and taken into himself the very things that will come to be and to, will be seen in the midst of God's people. This is the kind of joy that Jesus Christ himself takes even now in the heavenly places. As he considers what will come upon the people of God. That God himself will work. That God himself will will give. And as Jesus is filled with this joy in the presence of his Father, he is not merely content with all of the glories of heaven simply given to him, but listen to this, Isaiah 62, verse 1, for Zion's sake I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. This is the longing and desire of Christ himself that these things will come upon the people of God. This is what Christ longs for. 
and what is his desire even now in the presence of his Father. This is what gives us permission to long for the things that we're about to consider. And again, we have to, we have to begin here as we consider what are the glories that come and our own uh, perhaps even embarrassment in considering the idea of even longing for a name like this as though it's dishonest because it doesn't match what we see in ourselves or perhaps dishonoring to the holiness of God that sinners would desire such a name, but it begins with Christ's own longing and his desire that this be given to his people and it's his to give. Um, when we, uh, when we uh, prepare for a, a wedding, a joyful celebration uh, like that, there's all sorts of, uh, all sorts of preparations that we make. <laughs> Uh, kind of extravagances. Uh, and it's easy sometimes to be, uh, to be sidetracked by all of these extra things and preparations, the flowers, the decorations, uh, even sometimes what it is that we wear and the food preparation and all those things. And we can sometimes miss what is the main point, but, but there's something marvelous about all of those things. There's an extravagance that we have, an extravagance that's intended to build anticipation. Uh, why do we care about the food at a wedding? It's not like you have to have food in order to get married, but we care about the food because it's a delight to sit down. There's something good about sitting down and having a good meal, and there's something good about getting married. Uh, there's something beautiful about seeing flowers, and there's something beautiful about getting married. Uh, it's inviting and welcoming. We, we want what is the, uh, the kind of the whole setting of, of, of the event to, to fit with what the event itself is. It draws us in and it builds anticipation. Something similar happens in these verses as there's a variety of accompanying blessings and treasures, marvelous and beautiful things that accompany what is the giving of this new name that are intended to, um, uh, intended to, uh, uh, to distill in us, to give to us what is an increased longing to receive that name. I want to consider a few of those things now, some of the accompanying blessings that build anticipation that the Lord would have, whet our appetite, extravagances that build anticipation for receiving that name. First of all, this, when this new name is given, it replaces our old name. <laughs> replaces our old name. Uh, look at verse 4 of chapter 62. You shall no more be termed forsaken. And later, but you shall be called, my delight is in her. You shall no more be termed forsaken. Uh, if we see someone, um, uh, perhaps um, on the side of the road, uh, poorly dressed, uh, obviously in need and destitute, there, there ought to be a kind of uh, a sympathy and, and compassion uh, that's instilled in us where we respond uh, as though there's uh, uh, trying to find some way that we're able to help. Uh, but the idea of forsakenness is actually a little bit different. The idea of forsakenness here is someone who is, um, had, had as kind of almost visibly shows that there was at one time a kind of former beauty or former glory. Imagine the difference between someone who's, uh, who's poorly dressed and obviously in need on the side of a road versus someone who's dressed in a tuxedo <laughs> that's now all tattered, and, uh, and dirty, um, and as they sit there, you wonder, what, what happened? <laughs> uh, it's like an abandoned home, right? You know, at one point, it was inhabited. 
At one point, there was something good and glorious here. That's how, uh, how what happens in the Old Testament with the people being exiled. That's how it's described um, as the people of God, as, as rather foreign nations would pass by what is this, the temple that is now abandoned and struck down. And they ask, what happened here? Because there's a sense of the former glory that was once there, uh, but is now removed. Uh, there's a sense of a former glory, and it's clearly seen that the question to be asked is not what kind of God would do this, but what kind of people would deserve such a thing uh, to be thus forsaken. Uh, but what the scriptures say here in the giving of this name, one of the beauties that accompany it is that the former name is removed and replaced. You shall no more be termed forsaken. Now, there's a variety of reasons why we may long for what is a former uh, public display, a deserved public recognition of our own sin. Well, we would desire and long for those things to be removed, oftentimes a kind of embarrassment and self-righteous attempt to hide our own sin. But remember our foundation here. Why do we long for what is the public recognition of our own sin to be removed? Because it's what Christ himself longs for. This is what he desires. What we look forward to in the giving of this new name is not that our private sin is made public. We sometimes think that. But what it says here, no more shall you be termed forsaken. What happens is that known sin is forgotten. Known by whomever it's known is forgotten. Irreversibly forgotten and removed never to be called to mind again. This is one of the beauties of what we look forward, to, look forward to and long for. You shall no more be termed forsaken. Now, what are the beauties accompany the giving of this new name? Well, it's paired with the new name given to your land. Listen to this again. Chapter 62, verse 4. You shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called, my delight is in her, and your land married. Your land married. What does the land represent here uh, in the Old Testament and understanding of God's covenant with his people? Well, there's a few things. Um, in the land that was promised uh, to this people, you see God's provision. Uh, the provision that's given to them in, in, in what, uh, what sustains life, a provision that was promised, the fulfilling of his promises. Uh, and most of all, here is God's provision and the fulfilling of his promises uh, that are enjoyed in his presence, in his presence in the land. That's, that's what the land represents. In fact, that's why the idea of exile and being removed from the land um, is su such a hard and bitter reality of being removed from the provision and God's promises enjoyed in his presence. But when they're in the land and secure, what that represents is the fullness of God's promise enjoyed in his presence. That's what this land is. And, and to understand what he's getting at, talking about your land married, remember how it is that the land uh, was allotted and distributed amongst God's people. Uh, at one point uh, in the book of Joshua, after the people come into the land, uh, you have various plots of land that are apportioned out to the tribes. Um, and the inheritance of that land is passed on then by the sons. Uh, the sons would have them, and as they would marry others, then they would go to their families. Uh, th this was such an important idea in the Old Testament that if there was a, a, an occasion where a, a woman's husband died, 
and she had no heir, uh, there is provision for someone else to produce an heir uh, that the family might not be cut off and inheritance might continue. Well, what's one of the things that came up multiple times in the Old Testament the people of God were challenged on is when the sons of Israel began to marry foreign wives. Uh, they would give their own daughters in marriage to others as well as they would marry uh, foreign wives, those who had no interest in the promises of God. Um, now, the purpose of this was not, the, the reason why the Lord was so concerned about the children of Israel not marrying foreign wives was, was, not, was not in itself to make sure that there were other people who would be excluded. There's an, there's an aspect of that in understanding that the promises are for those to whom they are given. But the central concern that that symbolizes how wrong it is for the children to whom the promises come to be disinherited. That's what happens. Uh, the concern is here are the sons of God's people marrying outside of those with whom God has this covenant. And what happens to the inheritance of God's provision that is enjoyed in his presence? It ends up going to those, to others, and not to those to whom the promises are made. There's a disinheriting that takes place. What do we have here in these verses? As your land shall be married, we'll look in verse 5, for as a young, woman, young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. The idea being, being here are those to whom the promises are given, uh, marrying those to whom promises are given, that it might be seen that that which God promises to his own actually comes to them. And there is an experience of God's blessing that comes to all to whom these promises are made. There's a familial and a communal experience of God's blessing. Um, what do we do with this? Well, I know um, <laughs> there's much heartache that we have at times, right? Considering even our own children. <laughs> uh, uh, longing. Uh, to see and to know what is a faith that only the Lord himself can give. Uh, what do we do with the children whom we have? Well, we preach to them to the gospel. Because it's only by faith uh, that we are included uh, before our God. Yet what do we also we do? We know that the Lord is gathering those more than simply those who proceed from our own wombs, right? Uh, so we go out to the nations, to others who have not yet been gathered in with the urgency as though we are seeking lost children. But part of the promise that the Lord has here, however he works those things out, part of the promise that we have is that when the name, this new name is given, an accompanying blessing that comes with it, is that there is the clear sense that all of the children of God to whom the promises are given, who ought to have a place, are seen and present. All are seen and present. That there are none of the children of God who have been disinherited. That is the sense we have. It is the promise that will come. And I'm not able to give you a promise as to who, as much as to say that all of the children of God are present. None are disinherited. It is the accompanying promise when a new name is given. Last, last treasure and beauty that accompanies the giving of this new name. What is said... In the giving of this name and the repeating of this name, what is said is finally consistent with what is seen. 
What is said is consistent with what is seen. And before looking at the text, just consider this for a moment. There's something jarring at times if we're asked to describe something uh, in a way that doesn't quite fit with the way it looks. <laughs> we feel this sometimes, personally. Uh, if someone gives us a pat on the shoulder and says, hey, you're doing a really great job, but you know you just lost the race. <laughs> doesn't feel good. <laughs> Uh, or if, or if you uh, in art class, you try to, you know, you work really hard and you're just not very gifted in it and the teacher says, you know what, it, it looks really good, but you know it's the worst one in the class. <laughs> and there's something hard about it when, when there's a name that's given to it, a recognition, and suddenly it's almost worse because like, just, just close your mouth, don't say anything about it because now attention is drawn to it and everyone has opportunity to actually make, the, make an assessment. Is it actually all that good? <laughs> it's almost worse. Because what's said is not quite consistent with what is seen. But notice when this new native is given, notice how it describes what is indeed seen. Verse 2 of chapter 62. The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory. Notice later in verse 3. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. The, the sense is not you will be considered as though you are a crown, though you are this uh, miserable lump of clay. It says you shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of your Lord. Um, the, the point here um, is that when a new name is given, there is no, there is no opportunity at that point for any charge of hypocrisy. <laughs> there is no opportunity for any charge of blind favoritism, as though the Lord is merely doing something that is completely ridiculous considering those to whom it's given, uh, but that the name is complemented perfectly by what is seen. There's a consistency to it, though note this, that the origin of what is seen is the same origin as the name that is given. The name does not derive from what's seen, any more than what's seen is derived from the name, but both of them come from the Lord himself. Verse 11 of 61, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the peoples. The righteousness comes from him. So also the name at the end of verse 2 in chapter 62, you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. But is given in a time when it is consistent with what is seen. Now, we know the present struggle and experience we have where, where we know that in Christ Jesus and for his sake we are forgiven of all of our sin. And how jarring it is when we see in ourselves and others as well see that though we are forgiven, though we have the Holy Spirit in us, we still sin. It's a jarring experience between what is said and what is known to be true versus what is seen. What's described here is not merely the magnifying of that experience, but a new experience. Where what is said is consistent with what is seen. There's no opportunity for the fittingness of what is said to be called into question. What, what, is, uh, what then, finally, do we actually long for in the giving of this name? Well, we've opened up describing some of it and considering the delight and the pleasure that the Lord takes in his people and a making of that public. But what's the significance and the purpose 
of that name, well, two, two things, just uh, uh, kind of um, uh, uh, misconceptions to, to be out of the way. One, one is that we often sort of expect that what takes place uh, in glory, uh, when the Lord returns and he, and he shows the majesty of what he, is, what he has done, we, we think that here, uh, uh, on, on one hand, we, perhaps maybe we will finally get what we deserve. <laughs> Here is this unseen righteousness that no one recognizes and finally will be seen and taken for what it is. And the scriptures have nothing to do with that. It's not simply our own righteousness finally recognized, but nor, nor is it merely showing how much we don't deserve. <laughs> uh, there's something true about that and the mercy and the grace of God is always magnified. But notice, notice what is made public here. What is made public is actually not just something about ourselves. It's something about the Lord. Listen to this. You shall be called, my delight is in her. Why? For the Lord delights in you. It's his delight. You shall be called, my delight is in her. For the Lord delights in you. Um, everything else that's described here, it's always kind of a future sense. You shall no more be termed forsaken. Your land shall no more be termed desolate. You shall be called, my delight is in here, and your land married. For the Lord delights in you. What has been made known to you, the Lord's delight in you, now will be publicly seen and recognized. Uh, what is the delight that the Lord has made known to you? Well, the delight, the love that he has for his people. And what is sending Christ Jesus for the sake of his own to die for the sins of his people? Uh, not only sending Christ Jesus, but even all that he has done, expressing his love and calling you to himself and giving you the faith by which you lay hold of Christ and pouring out his Holy Spirit upon you and making you his children. Here the Lord is making those things public and recognized. Um, been uh, uh, no doubt uh, to, to weddings where at least occasionally there are times when, uh, when a groom may give a toast. <laughs> um, and there's opportunity there uh, before all the people to express uh, what is his love for his bride. And, and the words oftentimes are addressed, if, if he does this, and many times they don't, uh, but if, if he does give a toast like this, the words may be expressed to the people who are present, right, to the audience. But, you know, who is it intended for? It's, it's spoken to the people, an expression of love for his bride, but who is it intended for? Well, it's really to, to make known to his bride <laughs> the magnitude of his love for her. Uh, this is what we look forward to and we long for when the Lord takes what he is, uh, when he makes known to the world what he has made known to you, where he publicly shows and displays that we might, be, we might all the more find assurance and gladness in it. What is his delight and his love for you, his people? Uh, these words are intended to increase in us what is a longing to even know in much more fullness what is the delight and love that the Lord has for his people. We long for this. We wait it, wait for it, and it's worth waiting for. Romans 8.25 says that uh, if, we wait for, uh, if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. We wait patiently. Uh, but how is it that we wait? Well, um, Isaiah 62 actually tells us very clearly how it is that we wait 
closing, look at verse 6 and 7 of Isaiah 62. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen. All the day and all the night they shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. While we wait, what do we do? We preach and we pray. The two things that the church is about. We preach and we pray. The watchmen are never silent. And all you who put the Lord in remembrance, we take no rest and we give him no rest. Longing for the very things that the Lord has promised. And one of the things that happens while we wait and we long is that we have a longing that is increased within us and made all that much more, all that much more sure. Because when it says the Lord delights in you, there is more to the you than just you. The Lord continues to gather in those to whom he shows his delight. The delight made known to you that he will one day make known to the world publicly to be seen the love that he has for his people. And so we see what is the magnifying, not only of the sense of how richly and deeply Christ has loved us, but also the increase of those towards whom he shows that love. And so while we long and we wait, and often the Lord's timing is not our own timing. The Lord promises that these things come, that we take no rest and we give him no rest. And we have a longing that rather than being frustrated, is increased and made more eager all the more as we wait upon the things that the Lord has given. Uh, let's. Uh... Hi, everybody. My name is Rob, and I am a deacon at Gospel Fellowship PCA. I'm also the sound engineer, the camera guy, and the podcast manager. Thank you so much for listening to today's message. Please come visit us in person. Gospel Fellowship is a Bible-believing church just north of Pittsburgh, and you can find us at gospelfellowshippca.org. See you next time.